When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Manchester is Red podcast for Manchester Evening News. It's another of the midweek rough and ready podcast with myself, Rich Fay and Tyrone Marshall. Uh, coming up on today's show, we'll discuss recent criticism of Marcus Rashford, lift the lid on the latest transfer rumours and take a look at the latest set of financial figures. Before we get into that, though, Tyrone, how are you doing? I'm good. Thank you, Rich. I'm good. Looking forward to, uh, to week number two of this, uh, of this midweek podcast. See what uh, what rough and ready things we can we can dredge up this week. And you've just had the bombshell about a minute before we started recording to realise we've both written the same piece for lunch as well, which is uh, throwing your plans out the window. It has, yeah, yeah. Six hundred weeks into that, and it turns out we have we have had the same idea and done essentially the same thing. So yeah, not ideal. So now we need to to race for this podcast so I could try and rescue mine and do and do something do something slightly different, shall we say? But it does concern, I guess, what we're what we're probably going to talk about fairly early on in this podcast. Yeah, and you know that's what you want when you start a podcast. The fact that it's going to be rushed—that's that's that's the, the quality seal of approval we can promise you on this uh, rough and ready podcast. Do stick with us, and yeah, first of all, we will look at United's latest financial figures. They have been announced on Wednesday morning. They dropped at eleven a.m. I will just read you through a few of these figures because we're not very good at the jargon, are we, Ty? We do do our best to try and dissect it, but you know, lots of it is just words that you might not quite understand. So. Headlines are United's first uh, record first quarter revenues are up by nine percent at 157 million pounds. Uh, they say it's reflecting the club's strong economic foundations. I will also note that these are the quarter one earnings from September, from the three months to September the 30th, 2023. So they're always a little bit outdated, but they do obviously include much of last summer. Uh, United's record quarter revenues uh, are down to record match day income, broadcasting income and commercial income. They've also seen record ticket sales, attendances and global membership, which is over 400,000 members. That is the largest paid membership in world sport. They also mentioned that there are new strong business partners on board. Um, we're not going to be giving them plugs on here. Um, profitable, um, and the United States, they are profitable when excluding investment in players. However, there is still a net loss of 25 million, which includes investment in players, aka amortisation. Employee expenses are up by 9.7% at £90 million due to higher wages in the Champions League and investment in players. Um, Net capital expenditure and on tangible assets rose 20%, amortisation by 16.7%, and they are due to investment in players from last summer, so Mount, Onana, Hoyland, etc. United have profit on disposal of tangible assets, which is up by 77%. Basically, United can sell players now, which has always been an issue in the past. 30, almost £30 million brought in uh, profit from last summer in terms of selling players. That's Alanga, Fred, Henderson, 
still an area that I'd really need to improve in. Net capital investment doubled to £9 million, including new facilities for the women's team and academy at Carrington. Revenue and earnings guidance lowered due to the exit from the Champions League. So Ty, I suppose from United's point of view, there's lots of positivity in there. They would probably argue that the reason they still had that net loss is because of Champions League exit, which is going to have an impact. But, you know, United are making strides in terms of their transfer policy, I suppose. You know, a lot of money was spent, but it's a credit to the club that they are at least having those steps forward in terms of getting fees in for players that they sell now. Yeah, I, and you know, I think my my favourite bit of that has to be that, that you know United are profitable when excluding investments in players. So not profitable. Yeah, what's the success of your business revolve around uh, investing in players? All right, okay, uh, right. Yeah, it's... we are profitable when you don't count the losses. Yeah. Fantastic! Yeah. Wow, wow, imagine that on the Apprentice. Yeah, if you don't count the money that we spend on players, which is normally overpaying them anyway, we're really profitable. We're a cracking business. If you just stop us spending on players, we're really successful at this. We're a money-making machine. We're a money-making machine. Yeah, yeah, we just throw it all away. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it's it's good news and bad news, I guess. It's it's record revenues again. They are, like I said, they are a money-making machine. Everything seems to be going up, apart from the, the goals scored and points tally column. Beyond that, everything is going up. They are a money-making machine. They are successful, but they lost money. Again, they lost £25 million in, in those three months. And the fact is, they don't really have that money to play with. They, we've, we've just seen earlier this week the, the Premier League's profit and sustainability rules again coming down hard on Forest and Everton again. And it's no secret that United are, are pretty close with that. I, I did a piece and spoke to a few people after the Champions League exit. And the general consensus was that United had around £30 million to play with in terms of those, those profit and sustainability rules. I mean, 25 million of that 30 has gone. So it's, you know, it's, it's very difficult to know now exactly what, what the position is. There was a, the, the rules basically state that you can afford to lose 105 million over three years, or as long as your owners put in 90 million of equity, which obviously the Glazers haven't. Jim Ratcliffe has now invested. Whether that counts or not, there seems to be some uncertainty at the back end of last year. So the picture is, is not clear at all. But, you know, United lost. 150 million in 20, 2020, 21, I think, or 21, 22. Can't remember which one. Might have been 21, 22. Obviously, heavily influenced by COVID, but it was a massive loss and it has set them back on the, the profit and sustainability rules. And this is why they say in every window that we can't do what we want and we are, we are tight on financial fair play. And losing 25 million in the first three months is only going to make it tighter on financial fair play. It's why they're signing no one in January. So it is good news that the revenues are going up, but it feels like it kind of sums up the state of Manchester United, that they have record revenues, yet have spent money so badly over the years that they just cannot spend it. They're making they're making more money than ever before, but can't spend it. And that is kind of the, the problem of where they're at. Yeah, it's been sort of the tale of them for the last decade, hasn't it? That you look at even people like Edward Wood and, uh, and the previous regime, look at Richard Arnold, they were really good at growing United as a commercial venture, but in terms of growing them as a football club, they were they were bad at that. And that has sort of been United's identity for the last 10 years. That look, if you are going to look at it from a business point of view strictly, yeah, they are doing some stuff right. Like they they are still this behemoth, even when they're not doing well on the pitch. And you know, it's that famous Woodward quote, wasn't it? That what happens on the football pitch basically doesn't affect who we are as a business. And that is still the tale for United now. But you know, still playing catch up to try and try and change that identity. Uh, again, Ty, I guess it sort of comes in neatly as well to 
what we've both talking about and both wrote about this this lunchtime, which is sort of the youth transfer strategy as well. United have tried to be a bit smarter, you know, with getting rid of players, you know, at, at youth level, try and catch up where people like even Chelsea and Man City really still lead the way in terms of shifting on young players. And it's really important that because effectively, due to these being um, academy players, it's hugely beneficial for the club to to sell them because it's basically pure profit. You know, you, you don't invest much in, in these young players. Some of them will have a compensation fee. Some of them, like Hannibal, will have arrived for a transfer fee as well. But the majority in that as youngsters have been nurtured at the club. So there was no sort of expenditure financially in terms of their progress. So when you sell them, it's just pure profit. It's why City sold Cole Palmer in the summer. It's why Chelsea sold Mason Mount to United. It's why lots of teams look to sell their homegrown players. It's very perverse and counterintuitive almost that, look, you grow these players with a dream of them being in your first team. But the reality is it's probably better if you if you sell them on. And United have maybe in the past been a bit too protective of some of their homegrown players, kept on kept hold of them for, for too long. But, you know, even if you look at someone this summer, like Scott McTominay, he's a homegrown player. If you manage to sell him, then that is a lot of profit, surely, in, in terms of the way that the the books are balanced. So, yeah, what have you made of United sort of restructure at youth level in particular, Ty? Do you think that they do need to be a bit more ruthless with with getting rid of some of these young players? Because obviously, from a fan point of view, they will see all these young players leaving and, and wonder why they've not been given the chance. Yeah, I, I think it is the right call. I mean, on McTominay, and, and I don't really have a lot to go off of this other than there was obvious interest in United were considering selling him, but have Kobe Rainey not got injured. I still think there's a pretty good chance we'd have seen McTominay sold in the summer purely for those FFP reasons you mentioned. And, you know, it's all to do with that that new that new footballing word, amortisation, which no one can actually say. Um, like you say, in terms of pure profit being banked, if I used the example in the summer where if United sold McTominay for 40 million, it's 40 million straight away. It's 40 million in the profit. If they then had signed Amrabat for 20 million on a four-year deal, it would only come up as 5 million this year. So you could do you could have done that deal, and it looks on on this year's results. It looks like thirty five million pound profit, which is why it is so good. Which is why you've got Chelsea considering selling Conor Gallagher this window. Why Newcastle are talking about selling a, a, an academy player to fund their spending? I mean, you're right that the rules are perverse. Newcastle would happily spend four hundred million pound in every window, I think, at the moment, but they just can't. And instead, they're saying we might have to sell someone like Sean Longstaff, maybe, or Elliot Anderson to to fund it, and it is. You know, it, it is kind of strange in the rules that it's encouraging selling academy graduates, which is probably not where we want to be. But the alternative, I guess, is clubs putting themselves at risk. But in, in terms of United's approach, you know, I think it's, I think it's been really positive. I think there's an argument, depending on how things go for Ten Hag, and, and you know, I, I don't think it's any secret now. I'm very much in the camp that I just can't. I'm just not sure I can see him turning this around. But it, it might kind of be his legacy in a way that he has. He has delivered a good academy strategy, I think, in that he has set a high bar for players to get in the first team. But if they are good enough, he will play them. Garnacho, Menu, you know, these players are key, not squad members, they are key first team players now. And he has played them because they're good enough straight away. But he's also, so many of these players that have gone, including the two this month, Fernandes and Hannibal, are 20. And I don't think it's any surprise that we're seeing players reap that age where they need to be playing senior football, really. And if they're not good enough to do it at United, you may as well sell them. And in, in all of these deals, there tends to be a buyback and a sell-on. 
built into it, giving United some protection to either bring the players back if they do kick on unbelievably, or if they do well without being quite good enough for United still, there's there's profit to be banked there from a sell-on. So, you know, I think I think there's a lot of sense to it. I think a lot of other clubs do it as well. We've you know, we've seen I mean the money City make from their academy is phenomenal, really. Um it's you know that their business model now, and obviously there's there's 115 charges against them to say that they that they've built this business model illegally, I guess. But the business model they've reached now is is perfect. It is the best run club in the country as of now because they make so much money from academy sales that they can fund those transfers every year. They're never going to get close to breaching these financial rules because of the success of that academy. And because everyone wants a City Academy graduate, like everyone wants a United Academy graduate in the 90s because they come with with that kind of feeling of like they'll bring something, they'll bring something of pep with them when we sign them. And it's it's a great model for them now. And Liverpool have it to a degree, like selling Nico Williams 18 months ago for £17 million. It's it's incredible model. And United are gradually getting there. They're not selling players for that level. I think it's fair to say that nobody looks at the United Academy now and thinks, you know, we'll have we'll have some of that mediocrity from the first team, please. Um, you know, it's it's not at that level anymore. But I think it is the right decision. I think Ted Hard's kind of being ruthless and pragmatic at the same time with it. These players, Hannibal Fernandez, they're good. They're not good enough. No, I don't think anyone who's watched Hannibal this season for United thinks he's got a long term future at United at the moment, and he's twenty. So. I think it's the right decision to make and it does help balance the books. It's one of those tricky ones, isn't it, where you've got to anticipate that different youngsters will progress at different speeds. Some will bloom early, some of them will, will take, take a little longer. But like you said, there comes a time when you realise some of these players are old in terms of what you'd expect from a youngster. Because even in, in world football now, it's not become uncommon for sort of 16, 17-year-olds to start making their mark at, at first-team level. You'd say sort of 18, 19-year-olds could be playing regular football now. You look at players, even sort of someone else we expect to leave on loan, Palestri. He's 22 now. He's played at the World Cup. He's played almost 20 games at international level, but he's just never had, maybe never had the chance, but he's never sort of kicked on at United. And 22 just isn't young anymore in the, in, in the world of football because you've got players who are six years younger who are sometimes getting those chances. You look at, is it Lamal or at Barcelona? Um, you know, he was 16. I know there's exceptions to these and it's always going to be, you know, a bit uh, different. Um, Yamal, sorry. Um, Lamine Yamal, you know, but that is the, the cutthroat nature of it. And United maybe need to be be a bit more ruthless in that. And that kind of brings on to the elephant in the room, tie because there's been a lot of criticism of, of Marcus Rashford lately. His performance against Tottenham divided opinion again because obviously there was a well-taken goal, but he maybe still did quite a lot of bad in the game. Even for the Hoyland goal early on, he overran that attack. Yes, he dragged the ball forward. He still just looks to be lacking that confidence, that match sharpness. And again, if we're going to talk about players who are gradually getting older and older, he is now at an age where you'd expect him to, to be in his prime. 30 goals in all comps last season, just turned 26 years old. You know, you'd still say the best is yet to come from Marcus Rashford, but is that best yet to come in the United shirt? Do you think there is an argument given, as we said, the FFP? It would be a huge boost if you could sell him for a, a big fee this summer. How much could United expect to sell Rashford for in the current climate? And do you think he is a player who should be seen as dispensable? Um, you know, I definitely think, I mean, in a way, every player should be seen as dispensable if, if they're no longer up to the standards. And it's hard to say that of Rashford because it was only last season that 
it, it did feel like he'd kind of made that that major breakthrough to world class level, and yet now we're we're back here and he's not scoring enough goals. I think his 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 output has improved recently. He's I think that's four four games in a row where he scored or assisted, and he is contributing more often. Like you say, I I didn't he you know he scored a good goal. I thought second half he was he was pretty poor on Saturday, and I, you know he just doesn't have I just doesn't help himself at times. I don't understand the need to do that that celebration when there's there's almost like at times there's an there's no awareness from him of that he's not playing well. And I know he since said it was to do with the post he left on Sancho's Instagram and criticism he got for that but I mean why is he getting involved in that why does he feel the need to get involved in that he left you know he left a message for one of his friends to do well I don't think anyone any serious United fan any serious person is looking at that and saying that's poor from Rashford you know it's demented social media loons who are basically picking him up on that why is he then getting involved and celebrating that way in a match it's just totally totally unnecessary and it, it just doesn't he doesn't need to do it, I don't think, and then getting involved on social media afterwards to explain himself. Just celebrate the goal. I don't understand why he feels the need to make to make such a minor kind of inconsequential point, really. And there has to be an acceptance that the reason he's getting criticism this year is because he's not played very well. And you know, I, I, I think you know I've criticised him for his form this year. I, the Sancho thing is just a, a, a total non-story for me. I just think it's. You know, it's it's a complete. Do you think there's also that element though? Now we've got Sir Jim Ratcliffe arrived at the club. Um, was there on Sunday. His whole sort of ethos has been returning United to what they once were. Obviously, he sees that they need to be, they need to evolve, they need to be modern, they need to be a bit smart of the way they operate. But he's said, you know, a record that he wants to have the best homegrown talent. He wants United to be the the place where you've got like they used to be the best British players there, and then they're smattering the best world class talent as well. Would Selling Rashford not sort of be hypocritical of his whole mission statement? Because this is still very much a player who I think is the poster boy of Manchester United. Look, he's a Wivenshaw lad. He's someone who's come through, done so much for the community, done so much for for the UK, really, and and given so much on and off the pitch for this club. He has reached a world-class level at United before. Yes, he's had some big dips afterwards and in between, but I just can't sort of see it. I, I, I just don't think I can even envisage in my head Rashford playing for any other team right now? No, it, I can't really. Um, and I, I don't know where he would go, really. I mean, PSG has been mentioned a lot when Mbappe goes. I mean, I guess if PSG did get rid of... Um, yeah, and if Mbappe leaves, yeah, then I guess is that the only one? Could you see... I mean, maybe it's a possibility. But like I say, I, I can't see Ratcliffe's United considering it at the moment. I, I don't think it would be right to consider it as 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 poorly, as averagely as he's played this year. He he was phenomenal last season. You know, I don't I don't think it's fair to to to, to now deride that as a, as the one off season, as the season that was kind of a fluke, as, as kind of some people have suggested. I don't think that's fair. I think he can reach that level again. I'm not sure he's always going to be a thirty goal a season player. I think I think there's a degree of inconsistency in his in his game. That maybe is always going to be there, but he's not alone with that in terms of his scoring and. You know, he's he's always been a, a streaky player, hasn't he? A confidence player. And when he's on it, like he was last season, those finishes go in. And when they don't, they can they can go anywhere and you can you can visibly see him lose his confidence. And I think part of it with Rashford is is a is a body language issue, which in a way isn't really his fault. It's just kind of who he is. 
But he does his head does drop on the pitch at times. You see his shoulders, his shoulders slump. Things go against him, and I think that can rile fans, especially when things aren't going well. But you know, I, I don't think we're anywhere near the point where he goes. And like I say, his output certainly recently has improved. I thought he took his goal really well at Forest. The, there is there is clear signs of improvement there. He needs to do it more consistently. But I, I do I do just think these these kind of issues he gets involved in and drags himself into are just totally unnecessary. That celebration was was completely unnecessary because people were people are always going to interpret it as in as I've been criticised and that shut the critics off. Well, it hasn't. You have to accept that this team has been awful this season and you've been a part of it. And that goes for every single one of those players. You have to accept that. And I don't, you know, and, and fair enough, the celebration wasn't about that. But the thing it was about is just so inconsequential and so minor that I just do not see why he felt the need to, to make an issue of it. And it, it needs to be just a case of head down and focus on the football. Forget about this kind of thing. It's just totally, totally unnecessary. You know, he left a positive message for a mate. And regardless of what's happened to Sancho at United, I just think it's, it's a total non-story. And I don't understand why, like I say, why he got involved in it. But I also, I don't think we're anywhere near the point where we're, we're talking about the potential for, for him to leave United yet. Join us after this short break. We'll talk about the future of Eric Ten Hag and Jose Mourinho. Welcome back to the Manchester is Red midweek podcast. Myself, Rich Fate and Tyrone Marshall. We mentioned there just before the break, Ty, Ten Hag and Jose Mourinho. We talked about non-stories do we even entertain the possibility of Jose ever coming back to Old Trafford? He's been sacked by Roma. Being sacked by a club doesn't always sort of tee you up to go and take another job, does it? Does that not spell that there's a big problem there? Well, it does, but it never seemed to have affected Mourinho before. I mean, he, the, you know, some a, a European club will be mad enough to go and appoint him. There's, there's no doubt about it. He is, you know, for me, he is a busted flush at the highest level. There's absolutely no doubt about it, but someone will be crazy enough to go and appoint him, but it ain't going to be United. I don't think it would even be Newcastle, um, but I'm sure there the will be someone. I mean, the, the funny thing is for Roma, he obviously won those, or won, did they, win the, did they win the Europa League? I can't remember if they won the Europa League or not now. I don't think they did, did they? They got the Europa League final, the first European final in a certain amount of years. They won the Conference League. Oh yeah, they won the Conference League. It was, it was their first title in 14 years, I believe. Good in cup competitions, but poor in the league. Yeah, and a very... A very winnable league. I mean, four, there's been four different champions in four years. During that time, I think Roma have spent a, a fair amount of money for Serie A. They've got a decent wage bill, and they should have they should have been doing better. And they just they just weren't. And you know, he was. I, I think he was worshipped by the fans there. But I think that is classic Mourinho in a way that he you know he knows he knows the politics of the situation and how to play that game and how to how to win over those fans, but. You know his record in the Rome derby was was desperately poor. I think his and the Conference League, yeah, good trophy, a great achievement, worthy of a tattoo. But you know it's it's not the digital on the consistency there, and I just I don't see it at the highest level in in Europe anymore. I mean he's not he's not done it for a long time now, but I'm sure I'm sure there's a job out there for him somewhere. But whatever happens to Ten Hag, it just it just ain't going to be United, is it? No, it would be. If Sir Jim Ratcliffe's first sort of power move at Old Trafford was to bring back Jose, then you'd, you'd be very, very alarmed for Manchester United's future, wouldn't you? Uh, yeah, he had his chance. He wasn't good enough. 
yes, there were issues off the pitch. And yes, you might say that, look, under the previous regime, any manager was destined to fail. There's certainly a track record that backs that up. But that doesn't mean that Mourinho is blameless and faultless for, for his time at Old Trafford either. And you only have to look and see the chaos that's followed him and his, his previous two jobs to, to know that there were wider issues at play. And he cannot just be this person who's just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Or, you know, he obviously has to take the accountability for that. Uh, we've spoken as well um, about Ten Hag's future, haven't we, quite a bit. I just can't really see anything changing immediately on that until maybe United were categorically out of the FA Cup, categorically couldn't qualify for the Champions League. Obviously, the draw of Tottenham's not helped their hopes of even getting a top five finish and that sort of loophole back into Europe's elite competition. But the FA Cup tie, it'll be Newport County away. They've got their temporary stand. Wrexham play there this weekend. We'll have the temporary stand ourselves. Um, but yeah, Newport's a very winnable game, isn't it? I know they've got this pedigree of, of causing a few upsets in recent years, but... They are not even the team that they once were in that regard. So you'd definitely be back in United to, to get into round five, wouldn't you? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're 17th in league two. They've, they've got to be easy pickings for, for United. Um, uh, I've actually, actually, when they were City a few years ago, City beat them, I think it was 2-1 or 3-1. It was a pretty close game in the end. Um, yeah, that was... I, I didn't expect when I started this job to be covering City and United at Newport County, it would be fair to say. I was... I was hoping at least Eastley might provide something different. I mean, when we went with Newport, it was there was nowhere near enough room in the press box, and uh, yeah, we were sat sat basically in the stand in an overflow area with laptop on your knee, and it was pretty rudimentary working conditions. And you know, I I know we're we're in danger here of uh, of journalists complaining about going to games and then the, the standards we get, but it's you know it's it's the FA Cup, it's unique. You've got to embrace it, but. At least Easter would have been something different. I've, you know, Newport been there, been there, done that. Um, but yeah, United have, I've got to win it really. Um, they've, they've got to go on an, on a cup run now. It's the only thing really they've got to play for. I don't, I just don't see them having anywhere near enough to challenge for top four. And I think the concern, the concern has got to be that they they go backwards. Really, um, you know, I don't. The next league game is Wolves away. I think that's going to be really difficult. Wolves are playing very well at the moment. United aren't. And if they lose that, you know, Wolves will be within... And of course, Wolves were Wolves should have beaten United on the first day of the season. Never mind, lost, got a point. They were by far the better team. They robbed of a penalty in the last seconds of the game. That was the day, it, you know, the opening day of the season. And that was at a point when everyone was fit, really, before Ten Hag was bringing up the injuries as an excuse. And that was... That's my concern, Ty for United is that we keep on pointing to this injury situation saying well Casemiro will be back Martinez will be back Casemiro was dreadful before his injury Martinez was poor but he, I think he was in a dysfunctional team so I'll give him some more lenience but United have been bad when they've had close to a fully fit squad already this season so I just don't buy this everyone's coming back United are back baby it's going to be fine I just do not buy that whatsoever I totally agree and I think you know uh, uh, Ten Hag is has clearly started mentioning the injuries more over the last month. I think when he said earlier this month that the injured players coming back would be like five or six new signings in January, I think that's the kind of statement that almost that basically puts him kind of on notice. If that's the case, he needs to bring about an improvement, and we're not seeing it so far. And I, you know, I, I look at Sunday's game, and I see one team who've had 23 games under a manager have had loads of injuries, constantly played the same way, no matter who's in the team, have a clear structure, a clear approach, a clear plan to score goals. And I look at another team who've had 92 games under a manager 
and have no identity whatsoever. Absolutely none. And I thought, you know, you, you were at the game on Sunday. I was at City on Saturday, so I watched it on telly. And I thought Gary Neville actually made a really good point and said it quite well in the second half when he said, these United players get the ball and they don't know what the next pass is. It's almost like it's not, it's not coached into them. There's no structure to their play. It's get the ball and then look up, right, who's free? Where's a pass? Where's an option? And you look at Tottenham and they, they don't need to look up. They know where the runners are. They know, what the, they know what the plan is, what the structure is, what the identity is, what the philosophy is. And I just don't see that with, with Ten Hag United. And I know there's been injuries and undoubtedly they have had an impact. Of course they have. The, and not just the long-term ones, the constant nature of them, the fact he hasn't been able to field this settled side. But, you know, it's, I, I've never known a season like it for injuries. Every club has had, or it feels like almost every club has had major injury issues this year. Tottenham have had it. Uh, Newcastle have had it probably worse than United. Plenty of other teams have had it. And a lot of them, and I think Tottenham are the example. I mean, I think Foster Coglu this year is a nightmare for Ten Hag because what he has done in a short space of time at Tottenham having lost Harry Kane in the summer with all those injuries and suspensions doesn't reflect well on Ten Hag. It just can't. It can't reflect well on him because you've got a manager there who has quickly built clear identity into a team. And I don't know what United is under Ten Hag. And I don't, I don't think, I, you know, I, I don't believe there's really a, a regular match going out. Come on here and say, this is what we see every week. This is how they plan to score a goal. Because I don't know how they plan to score a goal beyond this hope of being a counter-attacking team. But you know, it's just not going. It's not going to work. They, they need to get over this obsession with the counter attack. It's not. It's not a solution to be a great team anymore. There needs to be more to it than that. And in possession, it is the fact they've regressed to Solskjaer style already, isn't it? They spent four hundred million pound more. They regressed to Solskjaer tactics and Solskjaer's best players and Maguire and McTominay are having to sort of get you through it. And yeah, it just it's not sustainable. I was go oh, go I, I was going. I mean, this won't go down well with a lot of fans I get that Ten Hag's got a lot of backing and I understand why because he's got a lot of credit in the bank from last season I think he's done some really good things as United, United manager we mentioned the academy the discipline he's brought in he's made that office the most important office in the club again you know I think he has done some important things but watching them on Sunday I was left thinking it you know it, it arguably it was worse than Solskjaer because tactically because at least Solskjaer had an obvious plan of, of what it was and this, this counter-attacking idea but it's like United have just fallen back on that. That was always what Solskjaer wanted to do. I don't think that is what Ten Hag wanted to do. I think it's just kind of what it's fallen back on. And I do think that, you know, I, I'm, of, I'm of the view now, I'd, I'd love to be proven wrong and that he does turn it round, but I'm just not sure I can see it from here because it's, it's not the results that are the major issue for me. It's the performances. And I just, you know, I, I used to cover a manager at Burnley and Sean Dyche who had some terrible catchphrases. But he used to always talk about a future in performances, as you kind of do when you're bottom of the league. Results won't always go for you, but you need to see a future in performances. And I look at United's performances, and I just see no future in them. That 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 is not gonna that is not gonna get you anywhere. Those those performances, and unless things change drastically, then it's it's going to become an issue for Ten Hag. And I think that Wolves game is quite important actually, because they've they've only got Newport between now and then. You know, they've got two weeks off building into Newport, then Wolves away. That is a long time on the training ground come up with a tactical plan. And if they go to Wolves and again look like a team without a plan, I think you've, you've got to ask questions as the manager and, and what's going on there. 
Sean Dyche to Old Trafford. You heard it here first then on the uh, Manchester Red, Rough and Ready podcast in midweek. Uh, also, if you want to get more on sort of United's wider changes, Samuel has done a piece uh, today. Uh, Sir Dave Brailsford is sounding out former staff at Manchester United uh, as, they, as the Ineos group prepare to make sweeping changes at the club. One source has described uh, the situation as as brutal, potentially, in terms of the amount of changes we could see from United. They want to be ruthless. They want to make these tough calls. If you want the latest on that, that is on the MEN website. And also, I need to give a plug, Samuel Luckhurst's newsletter is 50% off right now. Um, you can get part of the deal. The link is in the description below. For just £20 for an entire year in a special January transfer window sale, you'll get even more exclusive views and insight into what is actually going on at Old Trafford. You'll be supporting some quality journalism and you'll be getting exclusive insight into the club so you can become a full subscriber and join the Inside Old Trafford community with 50% off an annual subscription. Now that deal runs until the 1st of February. Like we said, there is a link in the description below. Welcome back then to part three of the Manchester is Rough and Ready podcast. Transfers, tie. you have to talk transfers. Um, starting here, João Neves, Benfica, name-checked United in a statement saying that the reporting on that has been incessant. Reminds me of when United went for Bruno Fernandes and United were quick to try and play down any links with him and then ended up signing him in the January window. Like we said, the financial situation means United will not be spending big this month unless something hugely unexpected happens in terms of uh, getting that sort of cash injection from a player sale or whatever. So yeah, João Neves, Benfica have, have released a club statement that name checks United. That is always a sign that, look, calm down, calm down. There might be a lot of gossip going around at the moment, but United are skint. We all know that. Um, they need to get rid of players. We've mentioned the youngsters leaving. Hannibal off to Sevilla. Alvaro Fernandez is off to Benfica. Both loans with the option of becoming permanent. United would have sell-on clauses and buyback clauses should both of those become permanent transfers in the summer? Facundo Palestri also expected to join Granada for the second half of the season. Remains to be seen if that will include a future fee as well. But like we said, he's 22. I think there is a growing acceptance that Facundo Palestri is probably not going to be that guy for United. Not just because Ahmad's back from injury, but Garnacho is the right winger at the moment. So Palestri is effectively fourth choice on the right wing. So... What's the point? You know, I know Anthony's a bigger issue than both Ahmad and Palestri, but again, Palestri might even be one of those that can be almost categorised as a youth team signer. I know they paid quite a substantial fee for him, but, you know, they just need to to get rid of some of these who are on the fringe. In terms of looking further ahead, Ty, like we said, if United have gone to do any business this month, it will be your veghorse, your Sabitzer style sort of players, very low fees and low expectations, really. But looking ahead to the summer... That's probably the more interesting one, isn't it? I mean, Anthony Marshall expected to leave. The jury's still out on Hoyland. He has two and two in the Premier League. He also has two and 16 in the Premier League. Depends how you want to look at it. He needs some support up front. How much support does he need? I did a piece on this yesterday, looking at the different categories of sort of strikers you could go for. You could go for someone like a Benzema, someone who's in that Cavani, Ibrahimovic mould, a short-term fix that can bring experience, alleviate the issues. You could go for someone who's young. We've seen Xerxes linked with a move this week. We've seen Evan Ferguson, a player they're very keen on long-term, would cost a lot of money, but would that scupper the development of Hoyland? And then you look at someone who's already in their prime. 
Ozyman, Mbappe, both expected to leave this summer. <laughs> Do United have the pulling power to bring either of them to the club? You're laughing. No, they're not the second And one. then you look at Premier League. Then you have Premier League proven players. You've got Watkins, Tony, Solanke. All would come in and do a job for United, but they'd cost a huge amount of money because they are probably proven and these teams don't have to sell. It's just a really interesting one, isn't it? Because they've already banked big on Hoyland. Surely they can't be giving up on him already. No, what United need is Hoyland to finish this season really well and make it very clear that he is the long-term number nine and that it makes it easier to know what striker they need in the summer. And that is someone relatively experienced, but who just provides a bit of competition, a bit of backup to maybe play out wide as well. Um, you know, what you don't need is is Hoyland, you know, only scoring another two Premier League goals, say, and suddenly you're in the market thinking, have we got enough, essentially? Um, you know, United United need the answer on Hoyland by the end of the season to be, yeah, he's the man. He's the long-term prospect here, the long-term player, and we just need to sign a backup. And that will make it easier financially as well. And, you know, I think we're seeing signs that he is getting there. Obviously, the goal was great on Sunday. I thought that the, the one moment for me that was arguably better than, than the goal was the, the back heel flick against Mickey van der Ven and then the speed to go past van der Ven and put that cross in, which I think almost reached Garnacho. That was absolutely superb. I mean, van der Ven has been brilliant for Tottenham this season. He's so fast that he essentially allows them to play that really high line. And Hoyland just totally did him. And you see that, you see that, the, the the goal, I still think the best goal he scored this season was his second against Galatasaray when he was so quick breaking clear from halfway and then that composure to dink the finish. And there are clear signs there that this is a player, but you know, United need a 20 goal a season striker and they need it to be Hoyland, really. You mentioned Ferguson there. I, I think he looks a great player, but there's no point in signing Evan Ferguson a year after signing Rasmus Hoyland. I just don't I don't see it. I don't. I don't see that United can sign a striker in that that same age bracket. I think it's got to be someone twenty six, twenty seven, or older now who's who's kind of got a bit of experience, but can be can be a backup. I don't. I don't know who exactly, but that's not my job. Um, but I think that's that's the area you've got to be looking at because the other you know the other issue here is that United probably aren't going to get in the Champions League. We've just spoken at the start of this podcast about how tight they are with FFP. You have another year without Champions League revenue, possibly another year without any European revenue. And it becomes, well, United have historically always spent more, haven't they, though, when they've yeah, not qualified for the Champions League? They can't. That's the problem here. And that's why these rules, and I'm, I'm going to be fascinated to see where these rules go because they do feel really tight. And obviously two clubs have fallen foul than, or three, I guess, if you include Everton twice. Um, and I do wonder where they're going to go. The funny thing is that I think United need them and would want them. What United don't want is Newcastle giving free reign to spend what they want. Chelsea and City given the same sort of thing. I mean, it matters less with City now, but Chelsea to be given free reign to do the same sort of thing. United's model, even under Ineos, isn't we can spend 400 million a summer. It is. We need to be, we need to get ourselves into a better financial position get that 150 million loss from a few years ago off the, the FFP book past the three-year cycle and we can spend our revenues. If every club is spending what they earn, United are in a good position because they earn more than everyone else. What they don't want is going back to a free-for-all. So as bad as it is for them at the moment, I think long-term the rules do benefit them. But if they were to finish eighth or ninth, it makes it, it, it re- reduces what they've got to spend massively, I think. And, and then it makes it even harder to get back in the Champions League. So 
the, the risks of dropping out of the Champions League, I think, are higher than they've ever been for, for United and for any club, really. Because once that happens, probably the same with Newcastle this year, and we can see with what Newcastle can say in over the past week or 10 days, how desperate they are to spend. And obviously, I think their loss was £73 million for the year. And they, they've clearly got the funds to spend as much as they want, really, but they just can't. And if they don't get back in the Champions League, which looks pretty likely, it makes it even harder for them. So it is going to be an interesting summer. And the last thing United need is to be looking at Hoyland and say he's only scored four or five Premier League goals and wondering if they've made the right decision. They, they desperately need Hoyland to finish this season in the form he's in now and make it absolutely clear that long-term he is he is their number nine. I've seen lots of links as well lately, haven't we, with Michael Elise, Crystal Palace. I mean, obviously a player who's had interest. I think both Man City and United have both sort of admired him in the past and he's certainly one of these players who, again, Premier League proven, he's got that pedigree. I know there's the suggestion of United would be open to a swap deal involving Aaron Wambasaka. Well, of course they would because they want they they like Elise and Wan Bissaka's a player. They're hoping to get him rid of, so they're always really easy sort of links to make. How many swap deals can you remember in the history of football? Not many. They're always very good to sort of hype. Nice hypotheses, aren't they? To sort of pitch and say we could get rid of him and bring him in, and it was only cost us this amount of money. It's just one of those sort of whenever you see these Twitter accounts who are like, here's my hypothetical transfer window. We sell Maguire for £150 million. We buy Mbappe on a free. Then we get this guy in, we get this guy in. United are fixed. Is that easy? It doesn't bloody work that way, does it? Um, so at least say, I do think United would have worth in bringing these sort of Premier League proven players into the in, into the squad if possible. But again, we've seen in the past that it doesn't always, it doesn't always work that way. Uh, it doesn't always matter unless you've got a clear plan for them to to sort of settle and I guess Ty the final real point for us to discuss is is that isn't it that we can pitch all these players as transfers and the last two windows the players we said United should go and sign they have signed you know they, they wanted Martinez I know they wanted other option before that but Ten Hag wanted Martinez he got him he wanted Anthony he got him Okay, he didn't want Casemiro, but they got him and he's still a very good player to have. Mason Mount was their number one choice. They've had all these players and United have had a pretty good track record of getting players that they want in, but it still hasn't worked. And I guess heading into this summer, that is maybe the warning, isn't it? That even if United identify someone as this number one target, do all their background checks, it doesn't mean they're going to work out. No, it doesn't. And there's never there's never a guarantee, is there, on, on transfers. We've seen a lot at United that, that don't work out. And we've seen some, you know, it, it felt like a year ago we were talking about Ten Hag record in the transfer market being phenomenal. Now we talk about it being very hit and miss. So it shows how quickly these things can change. Obviously, the jury is out this summer. I think, you know, I think Mason Mount essentially just has to start again. Anana's looking a lot better than, than he was. I think he's starting to to make an impact now, but there's never any guarantee really, no matter what sort of money you spend. And and that that is the risk really. And no matter how, no matter what Ineos change, no matter how much due diligence they bring to it. And, you know, obviously you, you can try and put processes in place to make it as safe as possible, but there is always a risk that the transfers will go wrong. And if you are in a situation where you don't have that much money to spend this summer, the problem is that you can't really afford a dud. Um, and if you know if United do miss out on the Champions League, I think they need they will need to have a near perfect summer to be in a position to get to get back into it next year. 
yeah, we shall see what happens. And of course, you can stick with us at the Manchester Evening News for all the latest transfer news and all the latest as well on FFP, on those profit and sustainability rules and on Sir Jim Ratcliffe and Ineos's arrival at Old Trafford. So if you've not already, subscribe, leave a five-star review, which we're... Uh, you know, we're obliged to say a five-star review. Maybe some four-stars in there. Make it look like it's not fixed. Do whatever you want to do. Just give us an honest appraisal of, uh, of the podcast this week. We will be back on Friday afternoon, Samuel and Stephen, to follow up on today's show with the latest at Old Trafford and bring you all the latest on transfers as well. Thank you very much. Take care. And we'll see you again next time. <laughs>